Spring is here, and that means hot weather will soon be coming. Are you ready for the heat? I am. Is your home? That's the question. If you're like me and you like your home to stay comfy and cool all summer long, then I recommend talking to my friends at Aquarius Home Services. From AC tune-ups to repairs, Aquarius Home Services is here to help. Their trusted cooling and heating experts will go above and beyond to provide you with a five-star experience from start to finish to make sure your AC unit is ready for the heat. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, and I recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. It is summertime, basically, overnight here, and today's going to be a special episode. We've got a little bit of a VIP Little uh, local local celebrity joining the podcast today, uh, Ryan Carter, Minnesota native, former professional hockey player, now an analyst for the Wild on Valley Sports, but also a bit of an outdoorsman in your own right. So today we're going to be talking a little bit a uh, little bit of different things, a little bit of hockey, a little bit of broadcasting, but also plenty of outdoors too. Travis, yep. what have you been up to lately? Uh, catching walleyes, mm. picking around mushrooms. Turkey season is over, but I do have to ask, did you, you kind of left us hanging on your social media. Did you get a turkey or not? Oh, no, no, we did not. So I did go out though. So I went with uh, my good friend, Jenny Anderson, girl of 10,000 lakes. So we've been talking for a couple of years now about going hunting together. Uh, we finally made it happen. I went out, she went out a few times for tur- turkeys this year. I went out on her last day. No luck. We got to witness some hens walk through, but, but, uh, yeah, any, no luck. T- any takeaways from your, tur- your first turkey hunt? Um, you know what, what I would say is I've been a little bit intimidated by it or, you know, just like n- not necessarily not just like thinking that I need to, to learn more and to practice more and everything before going out. And I say my biggest takeaway, and I said this to her when I left, I was like, I can do this. I'm ready to go. So yeah. I felt like I, I learned a lot, but I also felt like it's, it's so much more accessible than even I think I knew. Did you hear um, any gobbles? No. Oh, Other that's than the ones the we were making. Yeah. You hear that. Yeah. Go, 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 go. Honestly, it was slow. She's like, this is probably the most boring day that I've had. But like, mm-hmm. got to see plenty of, you know, nature. We got to do a little bit of foraging in there in between. Plenty of other types of, you know, critters and stuff. And I got to count at least, you know, 17 or 18 ticks on me. So that was lovely, too. Probably the worst year I think I've ever seen. It's uh, For ticks? I, yeah. yeah, for ticks. Yeah. Like, they're everywhere. They're in my lawn. My kids are... My little one-year-old comes walking up, you know, just waddling up yeah. the yard, and there's a tick on her. I'm like, ah, I just want to light the whole forest on fire. I just mm-hmm. hate ticks, everything about them. I almost prefer it to be really heavy, though, because then you know that you have to inspect after you've it's been true. in there. It you have to multiple look. Multiple times it's a day. Sometimes right you get lazy, and you'd be like, yeah. you know, I wasn't in there that long. I'll have to check mm-hmm. for ticks, and then all of a sudden you've got one crawling. It's almost easier to just be like, it's a bad year. Were you out in the grass? Yeah. Let's go. Let's take a look. It's almost more like creepy if you don't find any because, yeah, you're like, I feel like there's got to be one. Somewhere. Where are you? Better not be one of those deer ticks. They're tiny, right? I know. Yes, totally. (laughs) And I I literally take out all my aggression on them when I find one on one of my kids. Like my little 
teeny innocent little girl in her crib and all of a sudden there's a tick on her and take it off and I take that thing outside and I beat the living crap out of the tick and then I light it on fire then I flush it down the toilet yeah. I do all the things yeah. <laughs> I do that's how mad I am at I don't get mad at really much mm-hmm. of anything except for wood ticks I taught yeah. the girls how to start the torch <laughs> <laughs> yes yes oh yeah they burnt them my, yeah. my boys are like I want to yeah. kill that Incinerated. one I want to take that yeah. one down but I also yeah. feel really good when I see it's just a wood tick yeah you know? yeah you can tell it's just a wood tick. You pull that one off. You're like, okay, that's not that bad. That's a wood tick. Have you seen any North Star ticks yet? I don't know that I would. So it's got a white dot in the middle of it. And that one is a yeah. scary one, too. It's coming from the south. And it has a white dot in the center of it. And if you get bit by that, it changes your diet. Like, you can't eat red meat if you get bit by that. I have a friend in Tennessee that got bit. Like, you get an allergy to it? Well, can I can yeah, I get yeah. bit by it? I feel like that's a healthy move. It's get not a hel- it's not a healthy move. You don't want this, trust me. I do not have any ticks available. But yeah, he can't eat it. And he basically um, he almost died the first time he realized mm. it happened. He went into I don't know if it was like a seizure or something, but like he couldn't breathe. He it it, it would be like an allergic reaction. His whole body was covered in in like these. Uh, I'm not describing it very well. Like hives or something? Yeah, basically. And his throat started to close up. He carries an EpiPen with him. Anaphylaxis. Yeah. and That's very scary. It was very scary. And that's just like one of the few different varieties of diseases that ticks carry. And that's why I hate them. Do turkeys turkeys eat ticks? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like they... Brandon, you got to check that. Yeah, get on this. I think they might. I could... What? Possums. What's your headset? Possums do. Possums do. Yeah. Yeah. So my point is, if you're in tick territory, there should be turkeys there. And I'm pretty amazed because, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I can't go for a drive these days. And this is in the city. I know. Without <laughs> seeing turkeys everywhere. So if you can't get one, I, I need to know like, yeah. what kind we, of they, perfume you were wearing, yeah. what kind of deterrent there <gasps> we, was. How did you keep the turkeys we, away? We looked at the trail cam and they were there like an hour before, an hour after. Honestly, okay, it so was also a, a little bit of girl time. So we might have been chit-chatting okay. a little. Now, it's yeah. actually a blessing that you didn't shoot a turkey because according to MosquitoJoe.com online, Brandon just found it. Sounds legitimate. A single full-grown turkey can consume 200 or more ticks per day. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You were in yeah. the right spot, yeah, so I'm amazed so. that you didn't yeah. see a turkey. We're just that bad, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, okay, we're going to we're going to chat plenty of like outdoors uh, throughout this podcast. So, buckle up everyone. But I do want it's pretty special that we have somebody here with a, you know, a background such as yourself and I know you, I, you, I don't want to like toot your horn too much, but like really the the life that you've had and the career you've had for the last, you know, several decades is kind of the dream of a lot of Minnesota people. Like you played in a state tournament, right? High school hockey yep. there. You played D1 hockey in Minnesota, ended up playing in the NHL and even getting to play for your hometown team wild eventually. Did you like as yourself growing up or even when you were in high school, did you see the career that you've now had for yourself ahead of you? No. No, I believed everybody that said, just go to school, you know, make sure you get good grades because not many people play college hockey, Mm -hmm. professional hockey. So um, make sure you, you know, you cover your bases. My goal always was just to play division one hockey. Mm -hmm. It was very evident early on in my life that my parents weren't going to be paying for my college. So if I could find a way to pay for that, that was, uh, that was the massive win. Um, So I, yeah, no. And when it comes to hockey, I just enjoyed playing. I loved it. Um, again, with the, my parents and resource, it wasn't like triple A teams, whatever you need, you're a good player. Let's go. It was winter. You can play hockey summer. You'll play baseball. You know, I ran track and, um, so that's kind of what, what we did. And then just, 
I don't know. That's why sometimes now when people ask, like, what do you have to do for my kid to be a good player? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just they, they have to fall in love with it. And then once they love it, then maybe they'll be good. But Well, um, that's actually yeah. – so we've done wild on the water fishing tournament for the last several years. And everybody that I jump in the boat with, I always ask the same thing. With young kids growing up, I have two boys that love hockey now. But I always ask them, like, what did you do to get to this point? Did you play hockey all year long? Because that's what – Minnesota hockey has become. Yeah, that's what it is now. All year. Did you? No. Gosh, no. None of the other NHL players that I've ever asked have said that they played hockey all year long. But what I will say are the the players, the kids these days, they're better than I ever was. Mm -hmm. I watch these kids and it's like, oh my goodness, they are good. That's the thing. I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, you know, balanced life for people and especially kids. And so like, I love the idea of, yeah, take your summers off to either like, you know, spend time with your family, play a different sport, become well-rounded. And that's how it has worked for like all the, you know, NHL players that we've seen before. But I do wonder now with kids playing year round and, you know, devoting everything, are are those going to be the kids that in 10, 15 years are playing in the NHL or is it going to be the ones that are well-rounded and I don't know I feel like maybe the jury's out on that well I think the answer is some of them probably yeah. are yeah. I mean they're talented they're good the the concern I have as a father now is that if they fail at certain points mm-hmm. in their life so that's let's say you're 18 years old that's when you're told you're no longer able to play because you're going to be able to play in high school you're going to find a place to play but after that now people are suffering these identity crises because right. they're they've been nothing but a hockey player from 10 mm-hmm. years old to 18 years old five then, years old mm-hmm. And somebody has yeah. to tell them, so, yeah. and that this is the truth. They're eighteen year old kids. Somebody's gonna have to look them in the eye and say, "You're not a player. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you can't play." And then the kids the are like, "Well, what am I gonna do yeah. now?" You know, that's where I'm a proponent of the more well-rounded athlete, person, everything, mm-hmm. um, where it isn't full identity set on one singular yeah. thing. You know, I, I'll say that when I was done playing, people it was weird because people were like, "You're Ryan, the hockey player." I was like, "Well, kind of. I'm not really a hockey player anymore." And it was my way of kind of like coping with being done. Like that wasn't my identity. It was not what I did anymore. Um, kids at that age that are going to have to to figure that out. It's a little different. So mm-hmm. as a parent, I try to prepare my kids in a different way where it's like, you're a hockey player, but you're also this, you're also yeah. that, you're also, yeah. you know. Yeah, your value as a human, you know, and at home yeah. doesn't just come from if that. If you want to be and a hockey you're, player, you're that's giving, cool, but that's not you. Yeah, you're giving them so many experiences to yeah. choose yeah. what they want to do outside of that. Right. And they can yeah. still do that, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like talking with uh, Spurgeon about this, and he's like, oh, my kids aren't going to do it all year long like that. No way. You know, and because he didn't either, you know. So I go back to some of these things. Like right now, there's a, a league that my kids, both of my boys, could be in, but we just decided. Baseball's at the same time. We're just going to take a break, you know, yeah. and I'm hoping that they may be a little bit behind some of the other kids, but like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things in life to enjoy. There, uh, I also say this, the game also always becomes hard at some point for every single player. And are the kids capable of battling through that and being good? And at times, like, so I played in the NHL. It doesn't mean I was one of the best 700, 800 players in the world. I was nowhere near it. But I was capable of battling through all the hard stuff, dealing with people telling you that they don't like you, you're not good enough, reading messages from coaches that weren't very clear. You know, you've Mm -hmm. got to do all of these different things, and you have to have the energy for it. It's not just let's drop a puck and go play. Um, So you you have to get them prepared for all these other things too. And being multi-sport athletes and having different Mm -hmm. coaches and different things, I think help prepare them for that. Because ultimately it's the kid that has to decide, 
I want to be good. And then they have to sacrifice all it takes to be that. When kind you, of a, oh, along those lines, you know, the way that I kind of mapped out your, your career at the beginning, I'm sure it wasn't exactly that smooth and just one thing after the other. And like along these lines, I'm curious for you and your career, what was the biggest like leap or the hardest transition that you had either from like high school to college, you know, college to pro or even like pro to retiring and now into what you, you do today? I lived in a pretty small bubble. So I would, I would say it was probably from high school to junior. So mm-hmm. it, high school hockey, it's a, it's pretty well covered in this, in Minnesota, you know what you're getting and you want to play in the state tournament. And then I was naive. I didn't know junior hockey development programs, everything else out there. But you hear like you can fight in junior. You you don't have to wear a visor. You don't even have to wear a mask if you don't want. You know, and um, the it was weird. So when I I graduated high school and I just packed the Volkswagen Jetta and drove to Green Bay, and it was you're playing with big boys now. Mm-hmm. They're twenty years old. Is that a shock? You're, you're fighting. Oh yeah, you're fighting for jobs. Yeah. Training camp, fighting right away. I was never fought before, so I'm punching yeah. people. I'm getting punched. It's like mm-hmm. this is this is terrible, you know. Yeah. And I remember, you know, you live with billets too, so mm-hmm. like I, you went from mom's helping you, dad's helping you. You know, you've got your meals planned out, your laundry if you need it. You know, it could be done, all that stuff too. Living with a billet, not knowing where you fit in, who these people are. Not comfortable saying, "Hey, do you know like where my underwear are? (laughs) (laughs) You mind washing them for me? (laughs) What's for dinner? You know, can I go to the fridge and help myself? You know, you don't know any of these things, and there's so much to learn in such a short period of time of junior hockey that I would say that that was the biggest jump. That's where I remember calling my dad and saying, "Like, Dad, I'm I'm done," and he's like, "That's cool, bud. You can come home, but just so you know, you'll never be able to go back there." Mm -hmm. So when you said, "I'm done," what did you? What changed in your head to convince you to stay? That that comment that my dad was like, "You're you can come home anytime you want. Home's always here, but you're never going to mm-hmm. be able to go back and chase that again. So you'll mm-hmm. be done. Just know." Um, and it was all of it. I, I just had had enough of all of it. The coach was hard. It's hard playing. You know, I didn't. I don't, you don't want to have to fight all the time yeah. for everything, every inch. Your, my billet family was odd. My first billet family was a little different. Really? Oh yeah, they were different. Um, you put that all together, and um, I mean, there's you can't get away from me. It's not like I can take a weekend off, go home, see your family, and recharge. It was you're in it. So it was, I would say that was yeah. my biggest jump. When did you start to realize that professional hockey was in the cards for you? Because you you were undrafted. Was there like a moment for you that you were like, I, I think that this this might actually happen for me? No. Yeah, there was a moment, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was when a general manager of uh, was the Ducks, the team that mm-hmm. I signed for, calls and says, "Who's your agent?" And I was like, "I don't have one." And he goes, "Well, we're looking to uh, offer you a contract, so would you like us to give you an agent?" And I said, "That sounds like a terrible idea. I'll go find an agent." <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, got, I got on the phone and got an agent. But uh, there's a story too, where another agent I had met along the way when I was playing college hockey or junior, he's like, "Hey." You know, there were family advisors at the time before all the NIL stuff now. Um, but I, um, I apparently had told him that, why would I need an agent? I'm just trying to play college hockey. I don't need any help. I'm good to go, man. That's cool. And then it was six months later that I was playing professional hockey. Wow. And he's like, dude. I was like, I don't remember. But he's like, yeah, it was, I, I just was focused on playing college hockey. Mm-hmm. And I was undrafted, so I didn't know the, the path. Uh, of an undrafted free agent if, if it was possible um i just had really simple and clear goals just to be the best player that i could be on my freshman year and then work at it and be good my sophomore year and try to climb the internal ladder and then um apparently that caught the eyes of some people and the next thing you know i was playing 
was playing a different jersey. Was it a real jump going from that level that you were at to the NHL? I mean, was it substantial to the amount that some kids can't do it? Yeah, so this is also unique. It's once you get the opportunity to play at a higher level, it actually in some ways becomes easier because everybody else is that much better. So like I can count on you in gun safety where you're mm-hmm. with young kids, you can't yeah. count on their gun safety, yeah. right? Yeah. You start going around with pros, you you know you don't even have to communicate. You know everything that's going on. When you pass where you know it's space. supposed to go, the yeah. other person's yeah. there. Yeah, and yeah. you can hold them yeah. accountable to it, Sure. right? So it becomes a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Now there's more pressure and there's more, you know, everybody else is more talented. So offensively, you have to find a way to beat them. Defensively, you have to find a way to defend them. Um, but I think in a lot of ways it's, it's much easier. And then the further you get along too, the goal of a team is to limit any distractions that you might have as a person so that you can focus all your energy because energy is finite into the game. So they'll remove, you know, what you need off the ice, what you eat, where you rest, travel, they cover That's Whitey's that. job. Yeah. They yeah. cover all that so that you can spend 100% Andrew of your height, energy. Shout out. Andrew Height, yeah. 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 For people that follow the Minnesota Wild, they've heard his name. He comes up throughout the year occasionally. You guys have had him on your show, Mm -hmm. I think. But yeah, he's he's the one that keeps. I mean, I've spent a couple days fishing with with Whitey Mm -hmm. up in Canada, and the stories he told. Oh Oh, my goodness, is so good. Do you know I used to work at the Wild? Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say we we could have done this offline, but yeah, I was. It was before your time, Ryan. I was, I was there before Which is you, hard to do. I feel like I'm getting older now, so I, I don't was know there how that's possible. I think but. that there's one, yeah, Spurgeon's the only player left from when I was there. Is that right? Yeah. Plenty of, like, you know, front office staff and some coaching mm-hmm. staff and, and Plummer. Oh, yeah. Fun. And I know you've fun. been out fishing with him, too, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Well, that's fun. How long yeah. have you been with Bally Sports now? Boy, uh, I don't know. I, I suppose I don't know. Uh, four years, maybe. I feel like I got done, didn't do any TV work one year. I went back and finished my schooling. And then that following year. So however many years I've been done playing, I think 18. So maybe four years. Do you enjoy the game just as much today covering it as you did playing it? Or is it a different, complete animal for you now? Uh, I, I enjoy the game. I'll, I'll When I got done playing, I wanted to be away from it. And, and I enjoy being back around it again. But what I will say, too, with my daughters is I actually think I have more of a passion. I love the the youth game mm. more than the professional game now. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love the job. It's just I love leaving the rink and going to the rink and watching the kids and talking to the girls and hanging out with them and seeing their excitement and trying to make the, their experience positive at the rink. It's different for you now, I assume. There was a point and maybe this happened to you and it happens to other players, but in my world, the outdoor world, I was a full-time fishing guide. I started in high school. It was my full-time job during the summer in college and then after. And I was on the water like 50 days in a row, morning and night, burnt out to the point, um, you know, I might get a day off every once in a while, but your your season is so short that mm-hmm. it's just compact. I came to despise fishing for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's my favorite thing to do. Hunt and fish. Those are my two favorite things to do. And I hated one of them because I made it my career. I'm now in a happy place with it. But did that ever come? I mean, does that happen for you in in the NHL? I mean, you've made it to the very top of your game, but it's your life for a while. And do you still enjoy it like you did when you first started? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll th- I think that one thing that changes that scenario in my own mind is that I always knew that my time there was was limited. Mm-hmm. You know, where 
if you're guiding, you could do it for 30 years, right? Yeah. It's you're the one that has to say you're done. Nobody else is telling you that you're done. In hockey, everybody's telling you that you're almost done, yeah. right? And then it is somebody else's choice. It's not yours usually. Very few guys get to leave the game on their own term. Uh, most people are told you're, you're mm-hmm. done. Is it different today for players that the social media side, I mean, if they follow it and hear what fans and people are talking about them, that mental side of the game, did you have to power through that side of it, listening sure. to the critics the way that players do today? Sure. It was a little easier for me because I wasn't uh, like a uh, offensively productive player. So I played forward, but I wasn't relied upon to produce. So my job was simply if I went unnoticed, that it was a pretty good game. You know? <laughs> yeah. So um, just don't make mistakes. <laughs> and that made it pretty simple. Uh, it's when the pressure mounts offensively that I think it's hard on those guys. Mm-hmm. And I never felt that pressure. Wish I would have, right? It would have been nice. I like scoring goals. Um, But uh, at the same time, you have a bad turnover and you open up, um, you know, Twitter or something and people tag in. You're like, man, what what a donkey. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it happens. Um, I do wonder. part of the job. Yeah. Having that thick skin. and And by that time, you should have been told a handful of times that you're not a good player and you should know how to handle it. Right. Or you should be aware that you're not a perfect player and that you make mistakes and how to handle it. You start taking that stuff personally, that that then becomes an internal problem, less an external problem. It's like this concept of pressure just makes me think like for you, uh, like on one hand, being able to suit up for your hometown, Minnesota Wild like that to me seems like it must be like such a dream come true. I can only imagine what it was like, you know, skating out for your first game. But like, tell us what that was like. Do you feel like a big sense of like community and pride there? Or was it extra pressure or somewhere in between playing for the wild? Yeah, good. Uh, I I didn't feel any pressure. I'll say that it was probably mostly excitement. Mm -hmm. My father was a police officer in St. Paul for 30 years. And my mother grew up on Grand Avenue in St. Paul. So uh, we were a St. Paul East side family. I've always lived on the East side of town. Uh, we'll, we'll always live on the east side of town. So um, being able to play in St. Paul, um, make my grandparents proud, you know, father's last name, St. Paul Cobb, be able to see it on the jersey and the team in town. Um, I felt a, a great sense of pride. I really did. Um, so that was exciting. And um, it was fun. Great, great memory for sure. First game. That's amazing. And it is. I mean, you know, sports teams, no matter where they are, mean so much to the community. You know, of course, from like a fanfare aspect, but just from all, all of the businesses that are down there, you know, in St. Paul and how much that, you know, people and fans getting behind the team like impact so many people. So, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah on that end, it, it is cool and it, it was cool and I'm proud. But again, at the same time, that was a moment. Right. And um, it's weird because it takes very little time for your parents and everybody else to, to not really care that much. <laughs> you want to come to the game? They're like, no, we're good, <laughs> yeah. man. We're we'll good. <laughs> like yeah. a, it's a, it's like a seven star. I think we, you know, we usually hit the rap around eight. Yeah. So it's like, so you're not going to watch, Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah. it happens quick, but um, I do feel like your career and all that stuff comes down to a couple of just, you know, tiny little moments. Yeah. You put all this work into it and it's uh, it's a couple of moments, but that was a big one. Yeah. What's, what was the highlight for you if looking back on your journey through the NHL and, and hockey in general? Is there one thing that stands out to you above everything else? Um, oh boy, I've probably been asked that. I bet you've had a couple of different answers on it. What stands um, out today? You know, it. you start to think about legacy when you're, when you're towards the end and in the end. And uh, one of the highlights of my career was there's the stadium series game at TCF. It was outside. I had eye black on, I had a pretty good game. And then I had, 
two chubby little daughters um, with me there that day. And the photo of all of us together um, in that moment, you know, it, it, it means a lot to me because it was, it's like a, an image, a sign that hockey brought all of us to that point. My daughters were there. I was able to share it with the people that I care about the most. And, you know, we weren't perfect by any stretch. We didn't look good in the photo, but it was pretty meaningful to me. That's cool. That's great. It's cool. That your kids are there. And maybe that's a good segue into your life today outside of hockey in the outdoor world and with your family, because that's a part of your life now. That's very important. Natalie, um, we talked a little bit yeah. before the show, but, beekeeping yeah <laughs> you're the beekeeper yeah yeah how tell us how you got started to yeah. that i have a hard time sitting still um <laughs> and like i i always want to like if i can try to do something to be better um and so i got uh, i got the rona coronavirus and it was early on so it was like the 14 day you had to be like isolated mm -hmm. so i was in the basement for 14 days and i had heard um, from a friend who was a beekeeper that, and he had seasonal allergies and in lieu of taking a daily Zyrtec that he would eat honey from his local environment and it carries the pollens and through exposure therapy that it helped his symptoms. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I have a daughter that has seasonal allergies and food allergies. So I was really intrigued. She has a nut allergy and we've, we've been to the allergist and um, you can have exposure therapy through nut allergies to where you can eat a handful of them without an incident. Mm -hmm. And um, I was intrigued by that. So the one thing I could control, though, was was honey. I could test that out to see if it would help my daughter in that regard. So I sat in the basement, and I read a couple beekeeping books, and I watched probably, uh, I don't know, 80 to 100 hours of beekeeping videos on YouTube 14 days later. I walked up the stairs and I was like, hey, hon, I'm a beekeeper. Now. <laughs> I, I, ju I literally awesome. jumped in the car. Your it was before there was glazed over. There, there was yeah, a, so it was, was spring, springtime then? Yeah. yeah. This was before there was like a lot of good information on coronavirus mm -hmm. too. So it was like, I don't, I, I still could be nuclear, but I wanted this. <laughs> but we got to get I, some bees. I wanted, the, I wanted these bees and we had to get it going. <laughs> yeah. So I jump in the car, I get everything. So, and uh, enough for like, two or three hives and load it up, bees show up, boom, beekeeper. Yeah. That's well, what happened. I love hearing this because I actually have seasonal allergies too. And I feel like it's like being, okay, Brandon, you're shaking your head too. Yeah. So, and it's just I like, a lot of people, especially a lot people of that love the outdoors. Yeah. It's like, why have I developed? Cause they just really came on probably like six or seven years ago. But I, I mean, they get bad, especially this time of year, but I've done kind of everything that you can do to like help them. And I will say the last two years they have been, way better, like almost non-existent compared to what they were a few years ago. And there's a lot to it. And I actually think like, like stress level and like healthy eating and sleep and like all that stuff does play into it. But I started doing local honey and the bee pollen honey a few years ago. And I think that that makes a big difference. Now, what I get is like from the far farmer's market and sure. it might be like 50 miles away or something like that. So I can only imagine how if it's like literally in your backyard, yeah. how like the pollen and the trees and everything that are right there can even be that much more effective. Have you guys like seen an improvement in your family? Well, that's the other thing I learned. It's hard to ask like a five and six year yeah. old, how are you feeling today? Yeah. You better than yesterday? Yeah. I have no idea. You got no idea. So like over the aggregate, you have to just like really like pay attention to her symptoms yeah. and probably log it, you know, like when is it bad? Yeah. Uh, the, the, in, in counter argument to this theory, I would say that unless I'm harvesting the honey frequently, so for example, you'll have pollens um, that will that will be active now that mm -hmm. the bees will be in, and then there will be flowers that open up in a couple of weeks, and then mm. that will continue on through the season. 
and it's so you, possible you need to yeah, harvest the honey regularly. Well, that's what I'm really saying. That makes yeah. sense. And theoretically, yeah. honey shouldn't shouldn't have pollen in it, but there are trace amounts in the honey because the bees that are out foraging for the nectar have the pollen, yeah. and then they do all their things. So it, it it could be in there. Um, but yeah, like so. Let's say let's say my daughter had like what's active now, or we could do fall um, goldenrod. You familiar with goldenrod? Mm -hmm. Really popular in the fall it's all over the place yep. so let's say i wanted to just isolate goldenrod honey i'd have to almost take the honey resource from the bees before that then give them the space to put it goldenrod season then harvest the goldenrod honey it's it's really kind of mm -hmm. hard to do but then i would be able to specifically target this is goldenrod honey goldenrod whatever mm -hmm. give it to the daughter does it help yeah. your symptoms um hey, so the other hope is that you just do it all, and she yeah. she's getting trace amounts of all of it, and you get the right blend. Do you but. feel like though, just as general, like her health is, or your kid's health, or maybe your whole family, but like you've seen improvements in places that you can point to? Um, I I don't I don't I wish I could. I don't know that I have noticed anything. We're happier because honey is sweet. Mm -hmm. and yeah, sweets. yeah, definitely. And then I would say it's a healthy version of sweets. Yeah. So yeah. put the donut down. Let's have a, a yogurt snack <laughs> with honey, and we're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So <laughs> say, even if it, even if there's some placebo effect going on, it's like just just roll with it and take right. it right. Yeah. So walk us through like the process for people that like I've never. I mean, I I guess I've like maybe seen a couple of videos and stuff. I kind of have an idea of what it looks like, but what like. You went and you like bought bees and like yeah. how many and like what what do you like walk us through I guess at like a high level like what that process yeah anybody like. that's considering it uh, you just have to do it it sound and it all looks and sounds absolutely crazy <laughs> and it is you have to get the suit right away right oh I'm sure. yeah yeah you got to get the suit and I learned the hard way because you watch videos and people won't have gloves on. And, uh. Like, uh, you won't have, I don't know, <laughs> I'll do it in shorts and I've done it yeah. and I've done all that and I, I've been stung and it's not that bad. Um, but yeah, you get the suit, you get everything. I bought a package of bees. So I bought all the equipment. So the boxes and the frames that go inside mm -hmm. and where, I, where do you buy bees? I like, do the, you like go to a store? Like, yeah. Buy them so then you okay. have to buy reputable bees okay. from a beekeeper. Yeah. We've done okay. some stories on it. There's some okay. in Northern Minnesota that are really reputable and they have like their day and it's just, yeah. Man Lake okay. in think, Hackensack. Yeah. Yeah. Hackensack bee day. Yeah. Yep. There's another one that I go to over off of 694 in Oakdale, um, okay. Nature's Nectar, and they that's where you can you can mm -hmm. get good bees. If anybody needs some bees, I have extra bees now, so just let me so know. So you've yeah. got enough that you can share bees? Like yeah. You've, so any, you've grown your own? So I've never lost a hive over winter. and That was one of my questions. Mm -hmm. Keep yeah. going. I want to get to that. And when you overwinter a hive, you eventually have to split it or it will swarm. And swarm means that... Um, Bees are naturally um, inclined to like, split themselves. And what, what happens in that sense is that the queen will be in the hive and she'll say, there's so much resource here that we can sustain another colony and I don't have to be here. So they stop feeding her so that she can fly. She lays an egg, turns into a queen cell, and then eventually a new queen will enter, well, will be hatched and then mm -hmm. she'll go mate and then she'll be in that hive. And then half the working bees and the queen will just take off. They just leave. And then they and find they a, do that. They find a they, new home. They figure out who's leaving. Yep. They find a new home. And then, so they've just doubled their colony. So that's like their evolution or I don't know what you'd call mm -hmm. it, but that's, and then they continue to do that. Um, that. So they'll swarm every spring if you don't split an overwintered hive. So you have to go in there after she's been laying thousands of eggs a day, take some of those bees, some of that brood, some of the eggs out, put them into a separate box, and then find another queen, 
and then that's like your nuke box. So those are the extra bees that you have, and then you can give like a full young colony away to somebody or sell it. How far do they have to like miles away? So I've I've got my own swarms too. So mm-hmm. you see them swarming, it's it's like chaos, but you're not going to get stung, and they'll land in a tree really close to you, most likely. And I just plucked them right out of the tree next to me, put them in a new hive box, and now I split. Now I went from one hive to two hives. Um, but you can do that on your on the same property, and they don't yeah, no. intermix at all? Nope, they're looking for new spots. <laughs> now, if you were going to be mating queens all the time, yeah. you'd, you'd want to make sure that you have, you, have a, no, you have a variety because then <laughs> you'll have, like, I don't think it's that big of an issue, but you'll have, like, inbreeding of the queen, and then she mm-hmm. may not be as good of a queen. Because her, her own drones. Yeah. So the, yeah. the mother queen lays the egg. That's the next queen. And then she splits. And then she has a drone. And that drone mates with that other baby. It's essentially a brother and a sister mating. So you'd want a variety of drones around so that they're not mating like that. Mm-hmm. How do you yeah. keep the original queen in that in your hive, in your space, so that she's not able to leave. Well, no, she can leave freely, but she never will leave unless she runs out of space, ironically. So the way to keep her is give her more space. So much like my wife. Much like my wife. Bigger <laughs> house, nicer car. She's not going anywhere. These are smart. I get it. But legitimately, you give her more space to lay eggs. As long as she's laying eggs, she's happy. If she runs out of room to lay eggs, she's like, I'm done. That's it. I've, I've done everything I can here. Time to move on. Mm-hmm. So you just give her more space. But How much is your family involved in this? Your, your wife and your girls? Like, are they out there with, I've seen pictures of you guys out there. Is yeah. it like, is it, you know, one man show or is it a team <laughs> effort out there? They're fair weather beekeepers. Uh-huh. So the suit is warm and it's hard to tell a kid like power through. Yeah. yeah. Um, How old are they now? 10, eight and six okay. or 10, eight and seven now. So they'll all come out. They're all interested in it. They want to run the smoker. They want to hold up mm-hmm. a, a frame with bees on. They want to spot the queen. Um, harvesting the honey is work they don't i mean they want to do that so they can taste it and yeah. tell their buddies but they don't want to do the actual work beekeeping it's a little bit of work too yeah. um what's but, the harvesting process like so in the fall i just do it in the fall mm-hmm. but um you set everything up to where you know you have your boxes i have two deep boxes where that's where the queen gets to stay and then she can't lay eggs above that so that's just pure honey above that i take everything above and then I, um i end up they cap it you have to cut the cappings off then it's exposed cells. Then you put it in like a centrifuge. You spin it out. The honey all hits the end wall, falls down. Then you run it through some filters, and then okay. you've got um, you've got honey. And um, it lasts forever, right? Honey is yep. It uh, doesn't go bad. It will crystallize based on the flowers, the nectar, and different stuff. Some are will crystallize faster than others, but it never goes bad. You can. Um, you can. I think that they've said that there's been Egyptians and, and tombs opened up where there's honey. You can eat it without getting ill. Crazy. How much do you get like from your harvest at the end of the summer and the fall? What is is it by the ounces, by the pound? Yeah. Well, I measure it by the pound. Yeah, for sure. Um, each hive, depending on how you set them up and how you manage the bees and your splits and all of that, but. It wouldn't be outrageous to say you could get seventy to a hundred pounds per hive. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. so that's that would be what uh, I think a five gallon pail is about fifty pounds. So you could get two five gallon pails. Where do they? Mm-hmm. How do they fit all that in that box? The boxes aren't that big. No, um, but yeah, they do. Huh. They jam that's it in. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so this time of the year, what what stage in the? So process? we're we're entering and. Um, 
the biggest nectar, well, the only nectar well, flow of the season. So spring, the, the the flowers that open up, it's about pollen early on for the bees, and they're trying to pollen is the protein that gets the young bees to grow into, you know, mm-hmm. or I should say the larva into bees, and um, then the nectar flow hits right around June, end of May, June sometime, and then that's just they're buzzing, just looking for honey, nectar, I should say, and then. Yeah, so that's where we're at right now. It's I just put the supers on, which are the boxes above the queen, and they'll be um, jamming those things full. They can they can fill a box with a nice nectar flow and a good flower. They'll fill a box in a week. Wow. So you, are you familiar with Nomo May? Nomo May? Nomo May, where people don't mow their lawns oh, yeah. in May because yeah. they don't want to. Brandon, you do that? Well, yeah. so we had this conversation internally here about this, filming a story about it last mm-hmm. week, and... There, it actually is kind of controversial now that oh. it doesn't do what people that aren't mowing think it does because the the plants that are supposed to be uh, doing the pollinating and all this don't actually come up until like June. Yeah. <laughs> so May is the wrong month. That to seems be doing about it. right. Like yeah. that's so, how it usually goes. I bring it up because obviously people that um, that don't, I, or maybe I should say this, Ryan, you've probably learned a lot about bees and the value mm-hmm. to this natural world because of, you know, becoming addicted. 80 hours of, of mm-hmm. watching bees. You probably <laughs> learned a bit there and then watching them in real life. What's, what's been your biggest takeaway from the bees and what they do in the world here? Well, I tell you what, I appreciate them too. I like the, I like the way that a colony set up, that there's a queen, that they all work, that they all sacrifice for the betterment of the colony. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love all those messages that I can tell my girls about. I also love that um, it's all females and I've got only daughters. So mm-hmm. you can talk about how this whole colony survives solely based on the work of females, the males, the drones. They're simply there to mate and reproduce. <laughs> some, oh, what a some, world. Some parallels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll refrain some commentary. Um, so that's cool. But I do appreciate like one B, there's some stats out there and they may be slightly off, but for the most part, they're accurate. Three out of every four bites on your plate will be pollinated or will be there because of a pollinator and a honeybee. Hmm. So whether wow. that be the vegetables, the fruits, um, the breads, the everything that you kind of have, make, bake, whatever, will be from that. Um, your beef, you know, if they're eating different grasses, alfalfas, right. and all that stuff. So three out of every four bites um, come from a pollinator. So they are important. That's what I think a lot of people don't grasp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just how valuable it is. So when you see a bee, I'd, even I do this too, where I'm like, um, I, I need to protect my little one-year-old. Yeah. I need to protect my kids, but I also don't want to kill you because yeah. I know yeah. how important Move away. you are. Yeah. yeah just, we're just going to back up a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Have its space there. Yeah. Well, Ryan, we, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think, you know, something that, that stands out about you, obviously, you know, you've had your hockey career, you're working a lot, you've got three girls, they're in sports, you know, I'm sure just like so many people today, life's busy, but it seems, you know, from talking to you a little bit before and just, you know, what you, what you share online and stuff that you do prioritize trying to, you know, have a balanced life with your family and having three girls, it seems like you're able to get in some like outdoor time with them and to kind of share your love of the outdoors, of course, through beekeeping and a little bit through fishing with them too. Have you guys been out fishing much recently? I know I saw some like bass pictures last year. Yeah, we were out this weekend uh, up for Memorial Day to open up the cabin and get mm-hmm. everything going. And uh, two of the three were able to catch some perch off the dock and they were pretty stoked awesome. about that. 
Um, but yeah, we, we get out and we fish, the girls enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, and, uh, I like to just be outside. Mm -hmm. So I'm always out there and it's actually cool. My kids are still at an age where they kind of just want to be around mom or dad. Mm -hmm. So whatever they're doing, the kids will do. So if I'm out putzing around or if I'm out fishing, it's always like, Hey, you want to go? They're like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. You know, they're not quite screenagers yet. <laughs> yeah. They want to be on this. Keep screen. them that way so, as long yeah, as Yeah. I'm trying. I'm it's trying. Hard. Yeah. It's really hard. The I've goals got... to be as fun and, and as cool as possible. So mm -hmm. that they want to hang out with you as much as possible. Yeah. And that's like, we've talked about that a little bit, but it's like, I think I hear this so much. It's like, if you want, you know, your kids to be into something, if you tell them you, that they have to do it, you're probably going to get the pushback. And that if you make it fun, lead by example, just get them out there and help them, you know, succeed, catch some fish that, that they can, you know, they can be drawn to it on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and maybe stick with it a little bit more. Yeah. Have they, uh, have you guys targeted, cause I know you went musky fishing yep. a couple of years ago. Do you still do that very much? Uh, well, I, I'm almost exclusively a fall musky guy. Okay. I'll turn I'll, I'll turn it on September, and if I get a chance uh, between September and October to to fish, it's going to almost exclusively be musky. Mm -hmm. um, but this time of year, no, and the girls don't handle they can't handle that heavy equipment yet. <laughs> I would I would hook them up if you could troll for them. Sometimes I yeah. feel like that's not like the purest way to musky fish like you have to grind and you have to cast and you know you got 10,000 casts before yeah you got you got to yeah. do it you can't just go troll out yeah. there and, yeah. and hope you catch one you said you have 10 8 and 6 7 she's turned 7 okay now, yeah. gotcha so i'm 9 mine are 9 7 5 and then yeah. i have a 1 year old too but i've but the last 2 years i've had the boys out casting and it's amazing i've learned that um, kids learn uh, you know i told you before that i've been fishing guide for a long time kids learn the quickest of any kids, then women, then men, mm -hmm. men are the most stubborn. They're hardest to teach anything, but it's amazing how mm -hmm. quickly kids will learn. And so I always they don't bring people, the ego to it and the, you know, yeah, they, ready to learn. Yeah. They just, kids have this amazing ability to just absorb information and mm -hmm. you just have to give them a little bit of space. Um, but I switched from the Snoopy poles real early in life and got them some better equipment because they then, catch these huge fish and they're like, let's go fishing again. I want more of that. Mm -hmm. don't know that they would have been able to land it on such a little tiny rod. So I always tell parents, I'm like, Hey, if you, can, if you have the equipment to try earlier, it seems like it really jumpstarts their joy for fishing when mm -hmm. they have the right stuff to catch it. So what'd you go with then after the Snoopy rod? Cause Snoopy's like the old Zabco closed yeah, face, yeah, you know, upright. Do you go open face? I, opposite yeah, spinning reel. I was spinning reel. How, I'm like, okay, you see this, you just get your finger and you grab the line right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, they did it half a dozen times. And I, in my front lawn, I just tied on those little um, rubber, the bobbers that mm -hmm. are used for like your keychain. Yeah. So it's, oh, they're soft. Yeah. And they're heavy enough that they can catch the floaters. The, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just attached to your key yeah, you chain, do so you don't heavy. lose your keys. Like your yeah. boat keys. Your boat keys. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So I had them casting that in the yard and they're stuck up in the trees yeah. and everything, but they really learned quickly how to cast a spinning reel. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, they're they're good with that. With muskies, um, you know, you get a big topwater lure, it's pretty heavy. So mm -hmm. you can teach them how to use a bait caster really fast. It's hard to use a bass you know, a low bait profile caster, bait caster yeah. with a light lure because you get the backlashes. But when you're with musky fishing, it's all about letting the rod do the work. So mm -hmm. you just tighten down the tension a little bit and they can zing it. In the first few casts, it went like 10 feet, mm -hmm. but they didn't backlash. I was like, okay, a little further, a little bit more. And pretty soon they're zinging it out there half as far as, a, you know, as a Ryan Carter would, mm -hmm. would launch it. <laughs> but 
they're in the game. Yeah. Then they I, get a then they got a follow right away too. So that's like, great. Every day, let's go musky fishing, Dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm gonna need yeah. a new pair of polarized glasses yeah, exactly. too. I think yeah. I only saw the tail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, I've had success teaching kids on spinning reels too, and it's just yeah. like being, you know, again, heavy lure, and then going in like as the adult in the situation with like the fun and the positive attitude, and also a lot of patience because like the you know there's gonna be all sorts of messes in lines. You're gonna like my experience end up taking the reel off at some point to fix a mess, but it's just like getting them the practice, yeah. you know, they can do it. I'll give you an example of, so fishing opener the last few years, it's been me and the kids and we've tried to make a new tradition out of fishing opener. We have this huge giant rappel allure. You've seen those ones in the stores mm -hmm. and that's like the trophy from the end of the day. Whoever catches the biggest walleye gets the trophy. Well, I've got my nephew, my two boys and my five-year-old daughter and the two older boys are like super competitive, you know, they're like this is our year. We're going to get it. And they've got the, they, they know how to pitch a jig and they bait their own hook. They do everything. I don't have to do anything. Uh, Lydia, we have donuts because we got to have a lot of snacks for the mm -hmm. kids. Lydia is a five-year-old and Cash is my seven. They love being out there because they still enjoy doing things with me. And they also, they love fishing, but not like the older two boys. Anyway, I, I, she makes a couple of casts and then we have donuts. So she's like, I'm going to eat a donut. I pick up the rod and I launch it out there and I jig it twice and I feel the thud mm -hmm. and I go, Lydia, come here. And I hand her the rod and the fish is already on it. And she reels in a 26 inch walleye. Really? Wow. Yes. Boys are, everyone's pumped and instantly it clicks for the two oldest boys. They're pissed because yeah, they're not yeah, going yeah. to beat this 26 The competition comes out. And then, yeah. then they're like, yeah, well, you know, you, she, she didn't really yeah. catch it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, that's not really hers. Yeah. I mean, that was yours. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, buddy, you know. And yeah. this lasted a couple of days. We had to have this conversation like, buddy, when you were five, I was helping yeah. you too. But like, Speaking she gets of good lesson, lessons for kids yes. to learn is you, you don't win all the time. Yeah, but and, and so then also the seven-year-old who was kind of like, he tied every lure on in the tackle box until he was bored of it. Then he's ready to go. So now, okay, he's ready to go. We're leaving on a high. The older boys are like, "We what? Oh, we, we don't want to go. We didn't catch a big one yet. But like everybody had their moment there and we left wanting more. And I always yeah. tell parents too, I'm like, you, you, you have these great experiences. Everyone's happy. Some are mad. They still want more, but like mm -hmm. they'll get those chances later. But I didn't want to burn my seven-year-old out and make him stay out there too long and then come to despise fishing. Mm -hmm. So we, we always end when the first person is ready to go. Yeah. And that's, that's a day in our family fishing but, opener now. Yeah. But that's a fundamental truth. Once you have more than two children, you know, like the third one, if you're all together, somebody's always going to be mad. Yeah. You know, somebody's <laughs> always going to be disappointed. You can count on it. Yeah. And if you're going to eventually get four, it sounds like in the boat at one time, yeah. there's going to be a couple mad no matter yeah, what. So it's sure. always going to be the case. And that's, yeah. you know, I feel like that's dad's job, put out the fire, but yeah. three kids, someone's always going to be mad. Two can be happy. That's like the max. It's never all three. Somebody's always mad. Yeah. But that's, that's the journey. That's the fun. <laughs> Keeping it, keep them out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, Avoiding the screens as right. much as possible, yeah. like you mentioned. And so far, they're, you know, like we got a minnow trap now. And my son, I'm like, here's some things we can put in it. First day, we put the trap out in this little ravine. It's only like eight, maybe a foot and a half deep. It runs through behind our property. And it connects to random ponds throughout the city. Well, we had crayfish, bullheads, sticklebacks, fatheads, and I don't know if there was a sunny in that one. But mm -hmm. like every 20 minutes, my son's like, Let's go check the trap. Yeah. Let's go check. And That's he's so got to put, you put bread in it. That's what brings the, wow. the fish in. 
So he's big into trapping minnows now. Yeah. So you're just like letting him have these different experiences and yeah. I don't know, making fun. Yeah. Stoking that curiosity. It's going to carry through. Totally. Um, so have you always, Ryan, have you always liked the outdoors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like what? being outside. Yeah. Yeah, I hate being Is it something inside. you did as a kid, too? Yeah, I mean, literally, I would just try to find things to do to fill my time outside. Yeah. I think that's how, that's how I probably got started yeah. in a lot of it. My my father doesn't hunt. He doesn't mm. fish. He doesn't golf. He doesn't do a lot of that stuff. So um, a lot of it was just hanging out with buddies, being a yes guy, and mm-hmm. getting a chance to do it and learning to like it. But um yeah, if you can't tell by the my color, I am I'm just out. Like even at home, I'll just be putzing. Can't outside. be inside. Yeah, I'll just yeah. be putzing outside. What's your What's your favorite outdoor non sports related activity that you like to do? I like fishing. So, like my zen moment is probably smallmouth fishing on the lake early morning. Sun's coming up. The lake is calm. It's quiet. No boats. Um, like slight breeze, but still kind of mm-hmm. calm water where I can spot fish them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be like my moment. This is just pure magic this time of the yeah. year then when they're up in the shallows. Yeah. You yeah. can see them on a rock pile and you sneak yeah. up there. It's quiet. You throw it past them. You bring it there. You see them move. You wait. And you rip it. And you're like, yeah. yes, yeah. got it. Natalie's yeah. getting all <laughs> I know. I'm getting all I, I think I just zoned out. I forgot I was. I needed to participate in this yeah. conversation. I just... I'm just off of my old world daydreaming, but yeah. yeah. You mentioned yeah. sunrise. So I always ask people, sunrise or sunset, if you can only watch one, which one? Sunrise. I'm, I'm rise all day, every day, yeah. because the, I find the bugs aren't... And sunset, I want to go fish walleye at sunset and go into... So we're on a super clear lake, and the, the walleye rarely bite during the daylight. You have to get them at night, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I can't do it because it's like, I don't want to fight through the bugs mm-hmm. or be glowing with DEET um, just to catch a couple of fish. So I prefer going to bed and waking up early in the morning to do it. I feel yeah, like practically speaking too, su- sunrise for sure. And yeah. I think like I've, I've always just been a sunrise person and it feels like a little bit more special. And I think like it's practically, spe- it is, yeah. people that are up. And that's like, Easy. depending on where you are, what lake you're at, you know, the Twin Cities or even, you know, up north, like. Sometimes this, you know, sunset, you're, you know, you can barely keep standing on a boat with, you know, wakeboarders going by and stuff and all the waves. So it depends. But I think either way, boat traffic or not, sunrise is my favorite. It's just special. It, well, there, there's something to it too that's a little more rewarding because it's a grind. Yeah. There's like a sacrifice to a I sunrise. Did it. Yeah. You did it. Like, yeah. I've, I feel like I've made my near 40 years of life the sunset. Almost every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've and never gone to bed before the sun has set. Not a big deal. Right? So I've 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 experienced every single sunset. I've yeah. not experienced every single sunrise. Um so That's I think I appreciate point, it a little bit more. Yeah. 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 Well, I gotta ask, I feel like there's a lot of NHL players or hockey players that are outdoorsmen as well. I think that there's probably some that you've fished with. We've done the wild on the water many mm-hmm. times. If you were to have to enter a fishing tournament any species with one member of, uh, with one former teammate, who would it be? <laughs> it would, I think it would have to be Alex Stalock. I fished with him before too. Um, so there'd be plenty of beer, plenty of stories. Plenty of stops, <laughs> plenty of stops. You know? He became very <laughs> unhelpful to our fishing. Yeah. By halfway through the contest. Yeah. We'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> plenty of stops. Like, I think there's a bar right over there. Yeah. So you're not uh, going to win. You're going to have a good time. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but he, he, could, he fishes too. Um, so that, that, uh, that would be a fun one on yeah. the water. Um, we've gone out a few times, but yeah. yeah. 
Sure. When we fished, there was somewhere on Mille Lacs and there's this massive storm coming across the lake. Like you yeah. can just see it. Mm-hmm. And that was wild on the water. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wild yeah. on the water. And so he, he and I are captains of the players team that year. And so we go in and back in was Isaides and mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, we're going back out. Like he mm-hmm. thought this is it for the day. He's done. <laughs> you know, he was not going to, he was not ready to go back out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, Daisy. Yeah. Daisy's in the room. He did like a video bit that day and the wind was like howling. You couldn't hear anything. <laughs> oh man, that's what I mean. You go, that's part of it too. It's uh it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's a it's it's a good spot. Yeah. So we're off season for you right now. What any big plans that you have or things that you're excited about uh this summer? Well, we like to log as many hours at, at the lake as we can. It's getting harder because the girls' activities are getting a little bit more intense. Um, got some golf outings, uh, a, a fishing trip planned. We'll be trying to chase muskie. Actually, I, I should I got to go back. We're taking a trip to Canada mm. in late August to, I think, maybe Laxul or, Ooh, yeah. or Menaki. Yeah. One of I those. I hope two. you're going to Laxul. That is just like, that's the top. That's huge fish up there yeah we're and that's where i'm at right now it's like i don't have enough time to go throw ten thousand casts Mm -hmm. so it's if i have to spend a few more hours to limit that to like maybe a couple hundred casts that's what i gotta do so that's the plan have you ever musky fished up there before no i've walleye fished like my favorite walleye spot was eagle lake in ontario uh yeah okay um yeah i think it was ontario so straight north yep yeah, right above International Falls, you go through, um, my, yeah, I don't remember the other places, but Dryden, yep. Ontario, Kenora. Yeah. Yep. Um, That's Ontario. Yeah. So <clears throat> we it was great. We stayed at a, um, a resort, and the resort had a boat, so we went through like a couple lakes, some crazy little shallow river that was like a logging river, go through Clear Lake, which is off of the, the big Eagle Lake, then off to another one, and then there's just this little boat flipped upside down. And you got to bring your own motor. We brought a three-horse motor and a little uh, gas can. And then you go out onto McGregor Lake, and there's not a cabin. There's nothing around. And you drop in, and you're just walleye after walleye after walleye. Oh, Nobody yeah. else around. A little three-horse. I never thought I'd be so stoked to be in a little dinghy with a three-horse motor, but it <laughs> yeah. was awesome. So, That's awesome. Hook um, them up on shore then? Yeah. Yeah, when I, yeah. we didn't have a lot of the resource because we were carrying motors and everything else. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Well, we asked you earlier your favorite hockey memory. Do you have a favorite fish or fishing memory? Uh, let's see. Uh, the I've got a 51 inch muskie, which was fun. Nice. And I, th- I casting think it, or trolling? Casting. It well was done. top water or bucktail. Top water. Yeah. Oh. So the Hit fishing right. gods paid it forward. I was supposed to go up to Vermilion. This is September 29th. I was supposed to go up to Vermilion. This was the lockout of 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to to get away in September. And the I've got a boat. And, uh, my buddy was going to haul the boat up cause my pickup wasn't, was already shipped or for some reason I didn't have a way to pull the boat, but I had my boat <laughs> and he came over and the lights weren't working. So we were supposed to leave about seven at night and I couldn't get the lights hooked up. And I was like, dude, I'm just not comfortable pulling the boat at night without lights. So he's like, all right, I'm out. And he went north and they fished and I stayed back. But uh, I ended up fishing the following night with another buddy on White Bear Lake right out the back door. And sun was setting, top water, 
whoa, 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 whoa. And then did just it wake or did just, it explode? Just splashed. Uh, it was just dark enough to where I couldn't see, heard, and bring it in. And it's a 51 inch musky, uh, great fish, blind in one eye. Mm. So she's probably been caught before, I thought. Mm. And if it weren't for all those scenarios, I'm not yeah. on the water at that spot, that yeah. point. They pay it forward. A fish that's blind in one eye, sunset. Yeah. She needs the audible what, 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 probably to locate where the everything is. Um, so that was kind of like my, oh, man, that was a, that's a good decision, not traveling yep. without the boat lights. Good for you. Make it Responsibility. work. Well, it's just like the... <laughs> It was like that the fishing gods paint it forward, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Nice. That's a cool thing about muskies, too. And even people that don't fish for muskies or don't really understand the fish, like if you ask them about a fishing story, usually it's an encounter with a muskie for some reason or another. Maybe they've been reeling in uh, a bass, sure. you know, and then here it comes following behind it, you know, because they're opportunistic feeders. They feed up, they see something struggling, they come up and take a look. Mm-hmm. But like, it's a story that revolves around a muskie usually. And you don't need to catch very many to have them quickly become this, you know, amazing fish that you always remember. Right. And that's always like a, you can catch a big bass or a big walleye, mm-hmm. but the photo that you have <laughs> is your muskie photo. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> At least and, in Minnesota. And people who don't fit, I mean, yeah. they're like, A, what is that? B, that's in that's in the lakes that I'm swimming yeah. in. Yeah. Like that's crazy. The irony is too, like you go to Florida or somewhere else, like a muskie's not even a big fish. Yeah. You right. know? But so, here it but scares still. people. Yeah. They don't want to swim. That's in yeah. our yeah. lake. Yeah. yeah. No way. We're never swimming there again. Yeah. Yeah. But still you'll catch like a medium tarpon, but you're not as stoked about that as you are like a Have fifty you? inch yeah. muskie. No, but that's next on the list. Yeah. That's my <laughs> that's like on my list, yeah. the number one fish that I haven't caught. On a fly tarpon. rod? Well, it's either a fly or on on, I like, I don't want to musky set up. Yeah. I want to yeah. catch it on a top water bait. Yeah. That's to me the excitement. Like that's the rush. I don't want to have it, you know, a, a little, uh, crab, or whatever. whatever. Crab. Honestly, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's such powerful fish and when you get the jumps. I've, so I've done them both with like, with live bait and it's the easiest way, you know, everything, but like you mm-hmm. can still sight cast for them. And honestly, I mean, the purists are going to say like, yeah, no, you got to do it the right way. But like when you get them to jump, like the aerials are unbelievable, but you can also, you can fish for them on essentially musky setups. And I, I haven't done top water, but I've done swim baits for them and getting to actually just like cast for them. I mean, they're awesome. You're yeah. going to love it. And I, I want to do it where, <clears throat> again, where you're casting or it's you, like I've gone salmon fishing and caught big mm-hmm. salmon in the, in the great lakes. And that's kind of fun, but I, we're like trolling out the back. Yeah. Less like, like the charter. Yes. Mm-hmm. So even like a marlin or something, I think it'd be really cool, but where you just hook a lure up and then you travel with your, you know, and you throw your feet up and you wait for it. Mm-hmm. And then that's whose turn is it to reel yeah. in? That's a little different. I like like actively You're fishing. the one that yeah. made it happen. I like You're actively fishing. Like that's dirty why I like work. bird haunting. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I like, I need the activity, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I, I well, you just got I a whole like, other like, world with me, bird hunting. What kind of hunting? I wouldn't like like deer, uh, and I have done it. I don't like deer hunting as much because it's inactivity. I have to sit there. Yeah. I can't, that's really hard for me to do. <laughs> do I feel like this parallels your hockey career. Yeah. You want to go grind in the corner and you yeah. want to well, yeah, totally. do the dirty work. I, just, I gotta do it. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. So do you like to bird hunt then too? Yeah. So we just become best friends. And I'm an upland guy more than duck hunting. I, I like duck hunting, um, but pheasants are probably what I like the best. You chase them, you look, you see, um, you know, you're walking. I've come to appreciate the dogs and mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, my stepfather has the dog that we hunt with and, okay. um, he could just leave the gun in the car because he just enjoys the tail wag and the excitement yeah. from the dog. And I've learned to really love that too. But, um, the activity of upland hunting is, or upland hunting is, is what I like. Yeah. I, so we do North outdoors obviously, but I, I host two other bird hunting shows, the flush and rooster tails, and that takes us all over North America. And this dog here that I just rolled my chair over the top of that yoke a minute ago, <laughs> she is just like this bird-finding, heat-seeking missile out there. Mm-hmm. And the places that upland bird hunting has taken, has taken us, like I just, oh, you climb over the mountain, you know, out west or different, you know, up in Alaska yeah. and things like that, and just you can just appreciate this world and. And the bird brought you there, but you got to experience so much more because of it. Sure. Yeah. Well, how about grouse hunting? I've never mm-hmm. done it. <clears throat> I, I I think I would like it. You would. But I... I've never taken anybody out that hasn't just instantly been like, that's awesome. Because, really? Yeah. There's something about the the forest in the fall that the changing season, you know, like there's a smell out there that, you know, the colors, the leaves are dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, so you like fall? I love it. It is if from basically if you took October 15th through November 15th, it's the best 30 days of the year for fishing and hunting because mm-hmm. everything is happening. That's the hard part about it. It's everything like, what do you do? is happening. <laughs> the best fishing of the year, mm-hmm. the best hunting of the year, the migration, everything is happening. The rut for big game animals, uh, the mating season for them, the migration for waterfowl, ducks and geese, and then the upland hunting as well. Plus the fish are getting ready for winter. It's just like there's change happening. There's so much in the wild world that's happening in the fall. And the like, I, if I miss one day between in that window, I'm like so mad because it just, it's all, it's, you got to wait 320 more really? days for it to come mm-hmm. back. It is magical. Yeah. If you, if you ever want to experience a grouse hunt, we don't have to go far from here. And uh, yeah, that, that girl right there curled up mm-hmm. is just, oh. I think for sure I'd like grouse hunting, yeah. but I have to confess, I hate fall. Why? Well, it's, is it because are you busy that time? That's, what, here, that's right? part yeah. of it. That's it's like, my whole life. It's back to school. It's back to yeah. work, and then it's just is like death. Like there go the leaves. Yeah, but you've got this there whole goes the grass. Yeah. Everything's this like might change everything's here. like this dying. It just feels yeah. like we're preparing for death. Like here comes renewal. Spray. Renewal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So Mating fall season. gets me. You're not preparing for death. You're preparing for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If fall gets me. Um, I'd rather just go. The days are getting shorter. Summer. Yeah, yeah. Days are getting shorter. On and you're comfortable. Yeah. It's the best. Well, Five, so this fall, like yeah. you can just request a change to the hockey schedule. Make sure that they have a couple weeks off for you, and then mm-hmm. the two of you can go grouse hunting. <laughs> and I think yeah. you're going to change your mind on fall. Yeah, that, make it happen. That's maybe I just need to enjoy it. You're going to once I enjoy it to its fullest. Yeah, once I enjoy it to its fullest. Yeah, for sure. I, the friends that I took into the field last year all have puppies right now that they're training to hunt because of the grouse hunting we did last fall with her and just, just seeing what it's like to have a dog that like is trained for that is so cool to, to be in the woods. And like we saw a bear, we saw deer, everything else, but the birds and being in there and then the meal afterwards. I mean, I've got some recipes that are simple, but yet at the end of a good day in the woods, you're tired, you eat that, have a cold one, whatever you like to drink. And it's just like, Oh, can we do this Mm -hmm. every day? Right. You just love it. Yeah. All right. Well, well, Natalie. Probably about out of time today. I feel like we could just keep picking your brain on everything, but we'll let you go. But this was great getting to chat with you. And I think, uh, yeah, it's a good change of pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is fun. 
Yo, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. appreciate, appreciate all you. Do. We enjoy watching you on TV. Yeah, and uh, it's cool to see that you're raising up your family in the outdoor world too. Yeah, and the bees keeping the bees. Yeah. Keep it with the bees. Yeah. Save the bees. Yeah, yeah so. there you go. Uh, I've no, I've, I've got no plugs. Um, I do have a, a surplus of honey, so if you're ever on the east side of town, <laughs> I found a place that will put it on their shelf, and they'll. Uh, do you sell it? I I don't want to have like a marketplace. You know, or have to like fill orders or do the like the work for that. Uh-huh. But like I said, if I have three hives and I'm getting, you know, 150, 200 pounds of honey, we can't eat that. Yeah. You know, what are we going to do with it? And back to one of the stats real quick. I know we want to go, but um, I think one bee will visit a million flowers to make one little tiny or third, less than a teaspoon of honey in its life. So like when I've got gallons, I just picture like the lives of all yeah. these bees and I'm like, I can't waste that. Yeah. I want somebody to enjoy it. Yeah. So that's right. You've, like, you've done all that work. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I, and even, even like to bear hunters, like if you guys want, I'll, hit me up, man. I'll give you honey so that you can feed the bears. Careful what you ask for here. Yeah. 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 That, but that's yeah. still a little different. Yeah. That's just yeah. luring the bears in. See, but. I can't speak to the honey thing, but like mm-hmm. if I grow a carrot, you yeah, know, like you could buy a bag of yeah. carrots and it's no big deal to yeah. take a bite and then right. like my kids don't finish it. But if they don't finish one that we grew, yeah. eat that carrot or I'm going to eat it. I can't throw yeah. that away. It's right. different when you've grown it yourself. Right. Yeah. So I've got all this honey and I, I'd, I'd prefer it to be consumed, used and the energy of that, that one bee and that huh. teaspoon of honey um, goes to good use. Sweet. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be dropping links to your social media and your podcast in the description. So. Be ready for an influx of messages. Okay, very good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All um, right. It was fun. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah.